Again, welcome to um, everybody. And John, if, I'll let you unmute yourself, if, you're the, if you will. And for those of you that don't know Bishop John Guernsey, there he is. Um, um, I'm honored myself to have been um, oh, under his tutelage most every, every day of my ministry, I guess, really, John is what it is. Um, he has uh, played an instrumental part in my life and my family. For those of you that don't know, um, he baptized Allie. Um, who, um, John, they had, we had Allie lead us in our prayers of the people this past Sunday uh, um, by video is how we sort of do that. Um, and he also was very instrumental in the um, healing of Jacob from his epilepsy. Um, and so um, we have a very, very um, deep love for John, for his ministry, for his gifts, um, and for his teaching and his wisdom. And I could just go on and on and on, um, but you can't afford it, John. So I have to just... Uh, stop with that part but it's a great joy and a pleasure to have you here an honor to have you here you've been uh, preached once i think right you've been here one time mm -hmm. in the flesh so it was great um he preached my ordination of the priesthood too now that i think about that so you know we they can blame you for everything now <laughs> um but let me if i could be honored to pray for you before you Please. begin so gracious heavenly father i do thank you for the incredible gift of a, of a spiritual mentor um, the giant in my life, my friend John, and I pray that you would anoint his teaching tonight, that you'd speak a word to us in this season that we find ourselves as we prepare for Pentecost to be empowered to do the work in the ministry, whatever the circumstances that you place us in. And so I just thank you for him and pray your blessing upon him this night in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So welcome. Thank you, my friend. I am um was thinking of that very phrase <clears throat> earlier today, um, since we have known each other since the early 90s. And I would just say to you all that as you consider Greg and your experience of his ministry, know that I do indeed get all the blame, but Nancy gets all the credit. So that's, that's the key thing to bear in mind. Um, you know, Greg uh, served with us in our parish when, uh, for the years he was at Virginia Seminary. And um, I really do believe that he used a photograph from that early 90s era in the newsletter, <laughs> but it really, I'm still the same guy. John, you but look exactly the same. And um, to, in a small way, help you all as you are preparing for Pentecost. Well, I love the Holy Spirit, but I have to say I didn't always. It wasn't that I disliked the Holy Spirit. I just didn't know the Holy Spirit. I was clueless. I grew up in a Christian home. I had Christian parents who showed me the love of Jesus when I was a very young boy. I knew that I belonged to Jesus. I knew that I wanted to live for him. I wanted to serve him. But the church I grew up in never taught me about the Holy Spirit. And I really wasn't taught the scriptures as I should have been. So I didn't know the truth about life in the Holy Spirit. And because I didn't find the reality of the supernatural presence and power of God in the church, I began looking elsewhere. Spiritually speaking, like the uh, old country music song says, I was looking for love in all the wrong places. Um, I got involved in things that we would now call the New Age movement, uh, astrology and numerology and mind sciences and so on. 
in college, I took transcendental meditation training. That's Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, where you repeat a mantra over and over again. Now, they told me that that had no spiritual content, that it was just a relaxation technique, but that's a lie. The mantra they gave me was the name of a Hindu deity who was a demon. And let me tell you that inviting a demon into your life over and over and over and over and over again is not a good thing to do. <laughs> Don't do that. But I didn't know that wasn't what I was doing. I wasn't rebelling against the Lord. I just didn't know any better. I hadn't been taught. And I was yearning for more of the reality of the Holy Spirit. When the Lord called me to ordain ministry, I went before the standing committee of our diocese as a very young, naive kid of 20 years of age. They asked me all kinds of questions, and when they got through, they asked me if I had any questions of them. And to show you what a young, naive kid I was, I thought that meant that I actually got to ask them questions. And so I said, yeah, I've got a question. Why is it that we pray to God the Father, through God the Son, and seem to leave God the Holy Spirit out of it completely? Dead silence. No one said a word for much too long. Everyone looked really uncomfortable. Clergy seemed to need to get things out of their briefcase under the table. No one made eye contact, and this went on for too long until finally a lay member of the group says, well, sounds like you've asked a good question. Maybe you'll go to seminary and find out the answer and come back and tell us. Well, I'm sorry to say that the ultra-liberal seminary I was sent to didn't help me find the answer to that question. I read a lot of books on theology, but you can appreciate, I'm sure, that I wasn't really asking some esoteric question about the history of Anglican liturgics. I was hungry, hungry for an authentic encounter with the reality and the power and the presence of God. And when I got to seminary, what I learned was not about how to experience the reality of the Holy Spirit. What I was taught was that the Holy Spirit was controversial. I was told, John, there are people who are into all that kind of stuff, and we are not among them. You want nothing to do with that. And I bought it. And I remember that as a senior in seminary, I was on the admissions committee and a couple applied and came for a visit. Um, I interviewed them and they were pretty clear in what they shared, that the Holy Spirit was a living reality with them. And to my shame, what I told them was, you don't belong at this seminary. You shouldn't come here. I'm embarrassed to say it, but that's what I did. But you can probably also appreciate that that didn't make the hunger and the questions go away. I was still yearning for more. And it wasn't until I was ordained that I met people who were living and walking in the spirit, people who introduced me to the reality and the presence and the life of the Holy Spirit. And then God brought me to the place where I was prepared to kneel and ask a wise and older laywoman I knew to pray for me. She was someone I respected and trusted, and I asked her to pray for me to be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. It changed my life. 
At that point, I'd been ordained for four years. And as much as I yearned for people to come to Christ, as far as I knew, no one had ever come to Christ through anything I had ever done or said. I longed for it, but it wasn't happening. As a young priest, I would preach and older folks would come and all but squeeze my cheek and say, oh, you're going to be a fine priest someday. You know, it was sweet, but nobody ever came to Christ. And I'd teach classes and people would say, oh, I love to hear you teach, but nobody's life changed. And I would go visit people in the hospital and they would say, oh, thank you for coming. But nobody ever got healed. I knew there was more and I longed for more. And then by his grace, God touched me and filled me when I finally caved and surrendered to him. And then things began to change. And while nothing was outwardly different, the Lord began to work in and through me in new and deeper ways. People uninvited started coming into my tiny little office, fall on their knees, and ask to give their life to the Lord. Nothing in my seminary training had prepared me for such a moment. The first time it happened, I actually tried to talk the person out of it because I really did have absolutely no idea what to do. I knew this wasn't me doing it, it was God. But the Lord is good, and he empowers us to do everything he asks us to do. I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, but the fullness and power of the Holy Spirit changed everything for me. The Holy Spirit gave me a deeper intimacy with Jesus, an unexpected love of the Bible, fresh passion for prayer, greater joy in worship, a new delight in serving others. Well, that's a little of my story. So who is this Holy Spirit? There's much renewed interest in spiritual things in our culture. Most people, or not most, but many people describe themselves as spiritual, but not religious, curious about supernatural reality, perhaps like I was, even hungry for it. And there are many ways to experience the spiritual realm. There are many spirits on offer out there. But who is this spirit who's called holy? Well, the Holy Spirit is God. As we say in the Nicene Creed, he is the Lord, the giver of life. The Holy Spirit is the personal, moral, active, powerful Lord God, present in the world and present within the Christian. Some think of the Holy Spirit as an impersonal force, like the force in Star Wars. They've made Star Wars movies for more than 40 years. Can you believe it? And several generations have been taught more about the force than about the Holy Spirit. But of course, let's be clear, the Holy Spirit is not like the force. The force is said to have a light side and what? A dark side. But in God, the Bible says there is no darkness at all. And the force is impersonal, like a magnetic field. But the Holy Spirit is personal. We can know the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can experience intimacy with God through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is more than merely God's presence. The Holy Spirit is God, 
So rather than saying that the Holy Spirit is God's presence, I think it might be better to say that the Holy Spirit is God present. Not just God's presence, but God present. The Holy Spirit is the personal, moral, active, powerful Lord God, present in the world and present within the Christian. Now, the Bible, of course, tells us all this. Uh, we see the Holy Spirit on page one. In the beginning, at the creation of the world, the Holy Spirit's there brooding over the creation like a mother hen over her chicks. Throughout the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit at work in certain individuals, gifting and empowering key people for strategic roles. Kings like David were chosen and anointed by the Holy Spirit. Prophets like Isaiah were filled with the Spirit of the Lord to condemn Israel's sin, to call for justice. In Exodus 31, we read about Bezalel, who built the tabernacle in the wilderness as a place of worship. And it was the Holy Spirit who enabled him to create artistic designs and make beautiful things for worship. Throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit empowers just a few prominent leaders, but not average people, not ordinary folks. And yet there's a promise, a promise that one day it will be different. One day the Holy Spirit will come first upon the Messiah, the anointed one. The Holy Spirit will work uniquely through this one person sent from God to save us. And then the Messiah will in turn bestow the Holy Spirit on all who believe in him. Prophet Joel said that God's promise was that the Spirit would come upon women and men alike, upon young and old, not just on leaders, but even on servants. That promise from Joel is quoted by Peter on the day of Pentecost. And our Book of Common Prayer has a saying, those same verses in the opening sentences of the Eucharist on the day of Pentecost. It reads, the Lord will pour out his spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. You shall know that the Lord is in the midst of his people, that he is the Lord and there is none else. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. All of God's people would be gifted by the Holy Spirit to do his work. And so in the Testament, we see those promises fulfilled. Jesus comes to us as God in the flesh. His very conception is by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. The Holy Spirit comes upon him at its baptism. Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, anointed by the Holy Spirit. And he too promises that the Holy Spirit will be given to all who trust in him. At one point in John chapter 7, Jesus gives us a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit in those who believe in him. He says the Holy Spirit will be like fresh water overflowing from the heart of those who belong to him, giving life to those around him. And then we come to Easter night in John chapter 20. Jesus is risen from the dead. He appears to his disciples. He breathes and receive the Holy Spirit. At this point, they are what we would call Christians. 
Jesus has died on the cross for their sins. He's been resurrected to new life, and he's shown himself to them. He speaks to them of forgiveness of sins, and he gives them the Holy Spirit. They are Christians. And yet Jesus didn't immediately send them out to tell others the news that he was alive. No, Jesus knew that first they needed the Holy Spirit to fill them and empower them. So Jesus told them, wait, there's more, and don't leave town without it. That's a paraphrase, of course. What Jesus said was, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. That's in Luke 24. And then 50 days later, we come to Pentecost. Pentecost meaning 50th day. It was the Jewish spring harvest festival, 50 days after Passover. And this time, the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples like a mighty rushing wind, filling them and empowering them and giving them a holy boldness to proclaim Jesus. The apostles were filled with the Spirit that day. And what a difference the Holy Spirit made. What a difference between the apostles on their own and the apostles renewed and empowered by the Spirit of God. On March 28, 1990, Chicago Bulls basketball legend Michael Jordan scored 69 points in a single game. The Bulls' lead was so big that in the final minute, Coach Phil Jackson put in Stacy King, a seldom used rookie substitute. King scored two meaningless free throws. Some years later, King was asked by a reporter, what's been the highlight of your career? To which King replied, it would have to be the night Michael Jordan and I combined to score 71 points. <laughs> I think the apostle Peter might have felt the same way. On his own, he was a failure, a coward, a broken sinner who had betrayed his Lord. But restored by Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter brought thousands to repentance and faith. Those first Christians were filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. But then turn the page to Acts chapter 4, and it says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Turn the page again, and we read that when they had prayed, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They were filled and filled and filled again. As many have pointed out, they must have leaped. See, all Christians have the Holy Spirit, but we still need the Holy Spirit. All Christians are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but we're also to be filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. That means if you've given your life to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit but there's more. There's more power to enable us to live the life we long to live. There's more power to enable us to overcome adversity and temptation. There's more power to enable us to love our families and forgive our enemies and work for justice and make a difference in the world around us. We need the strengthening and empowering of the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus faithfully. That's the biblical pattern, the biblical model for us. 
We see it again and again in the book of Acts as the apostles lay hands on those who come to faith so that they might know the reality of the Holy Spirit just as they had. The outward manifestations vary, but it's the same Holy Spirit at work. We don't hear again about the Holy Spirit coming in a mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire. But in Acts chapter 11, the apostle Peter says, the Holy Spirit fell on a military officer named Cornelius and other Gentiles, just as on us at the beginning. Outwardly, it may have been different, but it was the same inward transforming spiritual reality. In the book of Acts, some people come to Christ and are baptized and are filled with the Holy Spirit all at one time. Others are converted and baptized and only later are filled with the Holy Spirit. Others are filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues and then afterwards are baptized. The Bible is telling us that the order isn't what's important. What's important is trusting Jesus and opening yourself to everything the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through you. I once met with a church leader I'd come to know who was seeking more of God. He was a member of a different church, but he reached out to me and I was glad to meet to have lunch and talk. He was a pretty high power attorney and he had a lot of thoughtful questions. But at the end of the lunch, he said he wanted to say yes to Jesus in a deeper way than ever before. And he wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I suggested we pray. It was pretty noisy in the restaurant, so we ended up sitting in his car in the parking lot. We prayed, and the Holy Spirit came upon him in a very sweet way. A week later, I got a letter from him. He wrote, Dear John, a week ago today, I drove to Dale City to meet you. I'm not sure I can describe what is going on or what has changed and is changing. I came back home much less certain about almost everything, except that God, through Christ, calls me to be wholly his. This past week has given me the sense of seeing the world with new eyes. I feel very inexperienced and uncertain, almost tentative. I'm much more aware of my own sinful patterns of misbehavior, but my response has been the de to deflect the temptation to feel guilty and to concentrate on how to repent, turn away from the old ways toward a new course. Specifically, I'm less attracted by sexual fantasy and take more delight in the real thing. How odd of God. Two people at church who I have not liked very much seem to have some very good ideas on Sunday. I forgot that a particular lay reader grates on my nerves, but instead was happy to notice that he got new glasses. I'm very concerned about how well I live and how many homeless there are wandering about. Monday evening, I was elected senior warden of our parish. All day, I had been thinking about the vestry's prayer life. Last week, my main concern was that we would get the place organizationally straightened out. My own prayer life has been different. I seem to be reading the Bible passages as if I'd never seen them before, or at least possibilities and implications jump out which are new to me. It's still hard for me to accept that the Holy Spirit dwells in me, informs me, and can use me. But I can't deny that the Holy Spirit has been active in my life this week. 
I'm much less anxious and much more prayerful. The little graceful coincidences of life seem less coincidental. The call to prayer is quite clear, and sometimes I find myself praying in new ways with wordless sounds trying to open my soul and longing to the God who created and sustains me. Yours in Jesus. What a delightful, transparent description of the work of the Holy Spirit bearing fruit in a life newly surrendered to him. When you become a Christian, you're given the Holy Spirit, full stop. But thankfully, being filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit is something we can receive again and again. It's something we should ask for again and again. You know, sometimes well-intentioned Christians say, you get what you need from God. But I don't think that's true. God won't force himself or his blessings on us, but he delights when we ask. Jesus told a story about a man who went up to the temple to pray, but he wouldn't humble himself to confess his sins and ask for God's mercy. He needed forgiveness, but he wouldn't ask God for it, so he didn't receive it. A man came up to Jesus seeking eternal life. Jesus saw he was in bondage to his wealth, so he told him, one thing you lack, sell all you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But the man refused and walked away. He needed salvation, but he wouldn't follow Jesus, so he didn't receive it. King Asa of Jerusalem was afflicted with a terrible disease in his feet, but the Bible says that even when the disease became life-threatening, he didn't seek the Lord's help. Asa needed healing but he wouldn't ask God for it, and so he didn't receive it. We don't always get what we need from God, but we do get what we admit we need from God. And that's why our pride and our refusal to give up control are the primary barriers to our knowing God and to receiving all that he wants to give us. God yearns to fill us to overflowing with his Holy Spirit, but we need to ask him. If you've ever traveled in the American Southwest, you've probably noticed that as you drive along in the desert, sometimes you come to a little overpass and there's a sign telling you the name of the river you're crossing. But as you go over the bridge, if you stop and look down, all you see is dust and sand. What river? Well, the sign really means river sometimes flows here, or river used to flow here. And all too many spirit-filled Christians are like that. The Holy Spirit sometimes flows here. The Holy Spirit used to flow here. We need to depend on the Holy Spirit daily. We need to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit daily. Don't rely on your past experiences of the Holy Spirit. Seek the Holy Spirit. Seek his fullness anew. And I encourage you as you prepare for Pentecost to open your heart to receive all that God has for you. Perhaps you could make it a part of your daily prayers over these weeks to say in your heart, Lord Jesus, fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. My, um, my bishop's cross has a dove on it, the symbol of the Holy Spirit. 
and on that dove is a small stone. It's an amethyst. Many bishops have an amethyst on their ring. But do you know why bishops wear an amethyst? Because amethyst is Greek for not drunk. It's what the Apostle Peter said at the start of the very first Christian sermon on the day of Pentecost. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. The amethyst is a reminder that bishops are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so are you. Let me pray for you. Come Holy Spirit. Come upon these hungry ones. Come upon those who are seeking and show them the way to Jesus. Come upon those who belong to Jesus and touch them anew. Come, Holy Spirit. We invite you to show us our places of sinful rebellion that we might rightly repent. Heal our brokenness that we might serve God without fear. Bring forth in us more and more your fruit of Christ-like character. Stir our hearts to desire you more. Fill us anew with your life-giving power. Release in us more and more your gifts to do the works of the kingdom of God. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Amen. Wow. Amen, indeed. <clears throat> wow. Hmm. Let me um, cancel your spotlight view, John, and put them in gallery. Wow. Man, there's a lot, a lot there. Um, I hope you all are um, half as blessed as I am. But uh, John, as you know, from last week, we... Uh, uh, try in a, as organized fashion as humanly possible in this setting. Um, if someone has a question or a comment, um, I hope some of us have learned how to raise either your physical hand or the, uh, the fake hand. Um, and if you would have a question or would like to uh, ask John something, if you raise your hand and wave at me, maybe I can recognize you and then you could unmute yourself. If everybody unmutes at once, we'll have chaos. So um, if you, uh, if I can get you, if you get my attention, then I can call on you and you would. Anybody want to ask John a question or make a comment or we all just uh, rest in the spirit? John, I've never seen them this quiet. This is clearly, uh... oh, Andrew. So first of all, I really appreciated your point about um don't feel guilty, repent. I thought that was a very powerful concept. So thank you for that. Um, and my question would be, um, we talk a lot about the language of, you know, Jesus in our heart and things of that nature. Do you think that is more of the role of the Holy Spirit? Is it fair? Because I try to think to myself, I don't want to make the Holy Spirit be kind of, as you said, the, the odd wheel of the Trinity. Um, is it fair to think about how when God is interacting with our hearts and doing stuff to us personally, is it fair to give credit to God through the Holy Spirit as doing that instead of maybe the other parts of the Trinity, or is it all at the same time? Do you have any thoughts on that? 
that makes sense. Well, I, I, I think your point's a good one. I think clearly the Holy Spirit is with, I mean, the scripture also speaks about Christ in us, the hope of glory. You know, there, mm. Christ in us is certainly biblical language as well. Um, okay. The, But clearly the, the interactions, you know, God speaks to us through the Holy Spirit, God communicates. Um, I think we, it's all of the above. We don't want to parcel out and have favorites within the Trinity and then see like we yeah. can kind of write off the others. Um, but I think your point's well taken that we are clearly hearing God's voice through the spirit, um, hearing even Jesus's voice through the spirit. But um, I wouldn't object. I don't object to Christ in us language though. Mm. Sometimes Jesus in my heart, you know, can feel a little bit, buddy-buddy-ish for me, <laughs> as opposed to the Lord of the universe has deigned to come and visit mm. me. That's a good point, too. But um, I, I always loved the, the, we had a little girl in the church who was taken to the doctor by her dad, and um, she was sitting there being, you know, examined, and the doctor had the stethoscope and was trying to be cute, and put the stethoscope and said, um, you put her stethoscope on her heart and he said, do you have Barney in your heart? A little three-year-old with absolute sincerity said, no, Barney's on my underwear. Jesus is in my heart. <laughs> oh, that's precious. Oh, anybody else have a question or a, yeah, John Ramsdale, go ahead and unmute yourself. There you go. Bishop, th thank you so much. Such a wonderful insight into your your life with the Holy Spirit. Um, I would like to get back to the question that you posed the board in terms of praying through the Spirit. Um, didn't Jesus actually tell his disciples to pray through him? And so is not Jesus the means through who we pray to the Creator, and then the Spirit is who enlightens us with God's words. Right, absolutely. And the, the Romans 8 is the passage I think is, is most helpful in terms of Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit and, and prayer, because Paul mentions a number of ways in which the Spirit comes to our, our aid in our prayer. He, sa he says that um, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans, words cannot express, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. The Spirit helps us in our weakness when we do not know how, what to pray for. So it's, it's a, the Trinity is very much at work, but the Jesus is our um, intercessor with the Father. Our prayers are to the Father through, through, through Jesus, absolutely. Thank you. My question was not thinking that our prayers were wrong. I just wanted to know why. You know, I, I just didn't understand. How are you all preparing for Pentecost? Tell me more. You've got this series. Um, what else is going on for you all? Um, right now, that's the, the primary thing, and we're trying to learn an ongoing way to learn with um, online life, I guess is what I would sort of say. Mm -hmm. So it's um, an isolation life, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. 
you have some guidance. I, you know, I'm all, I'm still, I'm still learning from you. So please. What do you, what do you all, I don't mean to take you off track, but I'm very interested. What do you, how are you all doing Sunday morning worship? Are you doing Zoom or live stream? We're, doing, li we're doing live stream. Um, from um, the church? From the church. Okay. Um, our, our worship team, Tim and the worship team are here um, leading us in worship on Sunday mornings and leading with everybody um, out in the uh, congregation. Um, we're trying to kind of mixed worlds, I guess you'd say. So we do the prayers of the people in a somewhat unique way. Um, different folks are recording the, so we pre-record the prayers of the people. Oh, nice. And then stream those out with different people offering not only just the petition this time, um, like you might on a typical Sunday morning, uh, but they offer the petition and then uh, either a extemporaneous prayer of their own or perhaps one of the great prayers in the prayer book um, that uh, to actually pray for that petition. Uh, mm -hmm. Funny thing, right? Yeah. Um, and then our preacher is live um, as that. And then what we've added as uh, an additional part is we try to get as many of the parish as possible as willing into a Zoom small group right after um, oh, good. The, the service. Um, to check in to see how everybody is to what prayer concerns there are, whatever kind of prayer needs um, that there are. Um, and then on Wednesdays, we've been doing this. Do, do you all have um, prayer teams normally on Sunday mornings when you're physically together? We do. And they, um, like this past week, have taken um, each of the people on our prayer list and after the service called to pray for them. Oh, wow. That's neat. So, yeah. Um, we have a church that figured out that you can also, the moderator can send people into a small of Zoom breakout room. Right. And so they've had prayer teams ready. And so after the service, when they get on Zoom, they can send in a request saying, I'd like prayer and put the person who needs prayer and two members of the prayer teams in a breakout room together to talk privately and share and pray. But people are figuring out all kinds of creative ways to make this as meaningful as we can in this very strange season. Well, we're actually, you know, we've been playing with that uh, tech, um, technological gift. And this coming Sunday, which for everybody that's here hearing, um, we're going to have our first um, big breakfast Zoom. So, <laughs> so that uh, typically on uh, the first Sunday of the month, we have a big breakfast. The men of the parish come to the parish hall and fix bacon and eggs and everything unhealthy. And so um, we all fellowship together, eat together, um, do all stuff together. We can't do that, obviously. So we're extending an invitation to everyone and all the small group, the Zoom groups and everything after church to come together on Zoom. Um, and where I will then break them into um, various size groups to sort of touch base, connect with each other, possibly pray for each other. Then we'll come back one more time and do it a second time. So we'll kind of mix master the parish oh, once on Big Breakfast Sunday. So bring your time, <laughs> right? Bring your own pancakes, your own eggs. Maybe you know, bring your own and, and show it to us on the screen and, and make <laughs> us all you know mouth water and see it. So. Nice, very nice. Nancy, I see you're unmuted. Did you want to say hello? Um, well, yes. Yes and no. I had, I had something I wanted to ask John, and this is, may or may not be relevant to anything, but 
I remember Craig telling me of a time a while back when you were compelled, I believe is the word, by the Holy Spirit to lock yourself in your office and pray for, for hours in the morning um, uh, rather than, I mean, you know, as work, you know, obviously to go into your office and pray for the bulk of the morning. And um, I was just wondering what that, what, 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 what was that like? And what did that, did, did that really happen? I mean, in my imagination. <laughs> Legend. <laughs> no, it's, um, I would have my, um, the, the, the background to it was, you know, I consider myself to be pretty thick when it comes to hearing the Holy Spirit and recognizing God's voice, but I have a decent memory. And one of the ways God has many times gotten through to me is given me the same message from just unexpected sources uh, repeatedly in a short period of time. And I remember hearing in a small group, somebody said, um, you know, Martin Luther prayed four hours a day. And I thought that was interesting, but I was thinking, well, you know, I'm more of an active guy, not a contemplative type, and then said, well, actually, you know, Luther was probably as influential as anybody in the Christian church since the Apostle Paul. He seemed to have gotten quite a bit done um, and just kind of wrote it off. And a few days later, I was in another group in another city, and out of the blue, somebody in the middle of the group said, Martin Luther prayed four hours a day. <laughs> and I began to get a little uncomfortable at that. And I literally, I got in the car and I was driving back toward, toward home and I turned on the radio and I turned on the radio and went click and Martin Luther prayed four hours a day. And he, he, they got it out before I could get the radio off. <laughs> and I realized, okay, God, you're telling me something here. So I decided I was just going to try it for a season. I think it was a six week season or something like that. I don't remember if it was Lent or not. And so I just had my prayer time at home went to the office, put my stuff in my office, and then I actually just went into the church and um, at, the, at the altar rail and took my Bible with me and just spent, spent all morning until, until noon. And um, God did amazing things. He resolved all kinds of issues before I ever got off my knees. Um, one of my, you know, my story, one of my Holy Spirit stories that was just really wonderful we were a, a young church, a uh, mission church, and in Northern Virginia, especially at that time, about a, between a quarter and a third of the church would turn over every year because of military and government people being transferred. And so we had a very fluid kind of situation. And one year, a very large number of people, military seemed an exceptional number, were transferred out. And not surprisingly, income in the church dipped down in the summer, which is not altogether unusual. In September, it didn't seem to bounce back, and so we better keep an eye on this. And so in October, we realized that we've got a problem here. The income has not bounced back. And the problem was that, as many of you know, when you're reading the October Treasurer's Report, it's the middle of November at which time it's really too late to solve a budget problem by cutting income, cutting expenses, because you're now 10 and a half months through the year, you've already spent it. You know, you've got a real gap and you're gonna have to make it up probably on the income side. 
So the vestry thought about it and prayed about it and decided, well, we just need to tell the congregation. So we said, okay, we'll have a congregational meeting. So we sent the word out that we we're going to have a congregational meeting that Sunday. And we just explained the situation. We just viewed it as a family meeting. We, um, you know, we were not coercing anybody. We didn't tell anybody to do anything. We tried our darndest not to lay a guilt trip on people. Um, sort of like if mom or dad loses a job and you can't go on a family vacation, you sit down and tell the kids. Doesn't mean you're asking them to sell themselves into slavery to pay for the vacation. It just means they need to understand what's going on. So we did that. And by God's grace, we finished the end of the year in the black. Well, fast forward about four or five years, and it was this time when I was in, in prayer in the church in the morning, and the same thing happened again. Despite very conservative budgeting, we found ourselves really tight. And so people said, you know, I was around, this happened some years back. We kind of handled it properly because we got feedback from, I remember we got feedback from my mom whose husband was not a Christian, didn't come to church, and she never was able to support the church the way she wanted. And after that meeting, she'd written a letter saying, you know, I'm just so thankful for the way you handle it because I've been to a lot of church budget meetings and for the first time in my life, I came away not feeling guilty. <laughs> and it was really encouraging to us. So people said, well, we know how to handle this. We have a congregational meeting. We tell everybody the facts. We don't lay a guilt trip on them and we just let everybody know what's happening. So the vestry said, fine, we'll write a letter. Newsletter letter is drafted, and I go down to the um, church that morning to pray. And as I'm praying, I keep hearing this phrase, oh, that today you would hearken to my voice, which I knew from the idea of Psalm 95. But God had taught me that when you hear something like that, even if it's familiar, look it up. And of course, the passage goes on to say, don't harden your hearts like you did that day at Massa and at Meribah. And I knew that incident from Exodus, so I figured probably ought to look that up as well, which of course is when Moses was told by God, when there's no water in the desert, to strike the rock and the water came forth. But you may remember, as I did as I looked at the passage, that it happened time there was no water in the desert. And this time, God said to Moses, speak to the rock. But instead, Moses did what he had done before. He struck the rock with the water. Now, I don't exactly know what that means, but I got to think it takes greater, I mean, striking or hitting a rock with a stick is a pretty big deal to get water, but presumably speaking to the rock and not doing again the thing he knew that, quote, worked, probably required greater faith and trust. And it was such a big deal that his disobedience meant that God said, you're not, you're not going into the promised land. That was what cost Moses the ability to go in the promised land. Well, as I read this, down there in this morning of prayer, I realized that we were about to strike the rock the second time as a vestry, that we'd had the problem before. And the first time we really prayed and sought God. And the second time we kind of said, we know how to handle this. You hit it with a stick, you know, you, and so all of a sudden I realized that we were going to do a big, serious mistake. And so I quickly called the senior warden, told him, I think he felt the lightning strike was going to come through the phone line. And he realized, he agreed with me. We pulled the newsletter letter before it went out and took it back, had a special vestry meeting and the vestry prayed about it and decided that what God was saying was, tell no one 
you pray it in. Just speak to me. Mm. And so the vestry prayed and fasted for the last several weeks of the year. And we finished in the black. So that was one of my wonderful memories of that time of mornings in prayer. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thanks. I, I didn't really ever really know the background of it. I just knew that you had told Craig about it. And um, I had always wondered if something, you know, something big came out of it, but I'm sure that you saw a lot of things along the way. Yeah. Thanks. That's a, that's a great story. They, uh, they've heard, um, I was thinking as you were speaking, John, that they're all thinking, oh, that's where Craig heard, said something like that. There's a phrase that I know where Craig got that phrase from. Oh, that's how he heard that. <clears throat> yep, that's true. Now they know. Anybody else have anything that you might like? Uh, Marty, sure, turn your, unmute yourself and I can help you maybe. There, I unmuted you, I did it. Thank you, I should have put my glasses on. I just wanted to thank the Bishop. Um, I think for all of my life, I feel I've known Jesus and Father God, but I think it's only been in this last year of my life that I realized I had no real relationship mm. with the Holy Ghost. And hearing you and listening to you, knowing that a Bishop has gone through this, somehow um, it made it, um, it made it okay for me. And I realized that the work that I have done has been more than worthwhile. I do feel I have a racial relationship with the Holy Spirit. Um, but somehow listening to you tonight, it has become much more real. And I just want to thank you. Thank you for being with us. And I hope you come to see us at Christ St. Paul sometime soon. Thank you. I'd love to come back. You know, it's wonderful that whatever we've experienced of the Lord, there's, you know, he always has more for us. Um, there's all, we all have a, have another step forward in our relationship with, with the Lord. None of us have arrived. And I think this time as you prepare for Pentecost is just a wonderful opportunity to, to really focus on saying, Lord, do in me what you know I need. Um, I just give you permission to, to come and move more powerfully in my life. Thank you. Wow. Well, um, Bishop, I greatly, greatly appreciate. Um, um, I, I, it, I, I'm glad I was able to record this from start to finish and didn't um, drop the ball. Um, so for those of you all that will want to um, watch, listen um, again, I will get with Jacob and we'll have it up on the, uh, the church's website. Um, and you can share with others that, uh, to, to watch it as well. Um, but thank you. Thank you very, very much for, for being with us. Um, Privilege to be with you all. God bless you. For the rest of you, um, just a quick um, reminder, we will continue um, our series. Um, and you'll see in your blocks there, um, what I, we call our Brady Bunch blocks, you'll see um, uh, Cindy Pratt, who will uh, be with us and be teaching next uh, Wednesday evening. Cindy will be our guest, and she'll be sharing um, from the upper room, which will tie nicely into that uh, power of prayer. Um, did you jump away, Cindy, or did I lose you? So wherever she moved. Oh, no, there you go. My box has moved. So people are dropping out. That'll happen. Anyway. Um, 
there you go. So, Cindy, we're looking forward to you next Sunday, next Wednesday. It'll be 6.30. Um, same Zoom channel, same bat channel, Andrew, I guess is what you say. Uh, we'll be uh, right here. And uh, again, Sunday morning, we're going to do the Zoom Big Breakfast. So I hope you'll join us for Big Breakfast on Sunday morning um, and for worship. So go uh, in peace to love and serve the Lord. Bye. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Bye -bye. John.